Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and the world of sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, joined as always by my wonderful co-host, Enrique Cisneros. And let's jump right into this. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, bro. How are you? I'm doing great, man. And I'm ready, as always, to jump right into this. We got a great show. Um, so on the plate for today, obviously our weekly questions and then some NFL news, as always. Uh, and then after finishing up on the NFC South last week, uh, we'll take a little bit of a break from our breakdowns here uh, to check back in with the New York Jets and the Denver Broncos as they put in the work at OTAs. And then after that, we can check back in on the NBA Finals and close that out today with our full reaction to UFC 275 on the Mile High Fight Show. And as for our NFL team breakdowns, uh, we'll resume next week as we move on to the Jets' rivals in the AFC East. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, can't wait to do that. But uh, yeah, with that, we can go ahead and uh, start the show today with our weekly questions. So our first one here, who wins the NBA Finals? Currently tied 2-2. Uh, obviously, the Warriors are Celtics. And, um, you know, we did give our predictions, but obviously four games into the series, the uh, power dynamics have maybe shifted a little bit. So how are you feeling on the series, Enrique? Uh, well, I, I think exactly what you just said is a very accurate way to describe it. I think the dynamic of the game is starting to shift a little bit. Uh, I think the Warriors are starting to get hot, especially after, um, especially after Steph's big game last week. Um so, yeah, I'm just imagining that the Warriors are going to try to stay with the hot hand and try to uh, close out the series. And, I mean, honestly, the real thing that I want to know is what's going on with Draymond Green because Draymond, Draymond's playing crazy right now. Uh, I think he's got more more fouls than he has points. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's it, it, that, that part of the Warriors hasn't necessarily been um, – I guess, as the usual warrior-like thing goes. But, um, I mean, Steph Curry is – I mean, he's the greatest shooter of all time, right? Like, And he continues right. to show out. And literally, like, there's so many key pieces on this year's Golden State team that I think you can, like, look at as, like, key contributors to um, to where they're at right now. Like, I think Andrew Wiggins is a big piece of that. Um, I think that obviously Draymond's a big piece of that. Clay coming back healthy. Um, you know, we haven't had Clay for what two years almost, like right. a truly healthy Clay. Um, so, and then obviously the emergence of Jordan Poole. Um, they got Gary Payton back. Um, so there's just a lot of guys that have come out and really made themselves known. So you kind of forget about stuff. Steph was coming off the bench, dude. Like, yeah. you you know what I'm saying? Like he was. Yeah. He was low-key coming off the bench. And when he takes over a game, he, he it's so it's such a dynamic shift. And, um, yeah, when Steph Curry gets hot, it's really, really hard to stop him. And um, I think that that's kind of the way it's starting to shift right now. Um, I'm hoping that the Celtics can, you know, kind of get a, get a head on it right now so that way they can try to, uh, you know, take this into a game seven. Um, but – yeah, I'm definitely excited to see um, when it, when is the game? Is it Monday? Right, the next game is Monday. Yeah, yeah, I did look it up, and so the next game is Monday. And then, kind of uh, to the point that you were uh, making, like I think this next game is going to be really important for the Celtics because uh, the game on Monday is going to be uh, at the Warrior Stadium there uh, in San Francisco, and then Game Six would be with the Celtics 
uh, or in Boston, and uh, a potential game seven would be uh, in San Francisco again. So the Warriors do have the uh, home court advantage there. Um, so if the Boston Celtics are looking to take the series, now's the time. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then if you if you're able to get get a game in San Francisco and take it back to Boston, that's that's a, that's a huge yeah that's a huge momentum uh, shifting like you know because you said Game Seven's back in San Fran. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, if you're able to win in San Fran, that's going to give you the confidence that in Game Seven, if you have to go back, you can win. And then if you're able to um, you know, well, if they win this one and they win six, then it's over anyways. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's just it, – it's a huge dynamic shift. So, yeah, it's really up to um, – really up to Jason Tatum and the boys to steal this one back. Yeah, totally agree. And, you know, they, they've really uh, played well uh, so far in this series and honestly did better than I necessarily expected them to. Um, I believe my initial prediction was the Warriors in six. Um, and I do think this could go to seven And right now. I mean, series is tied. I truly think either team has a chance at it. Um, but obviously you look at the Warriors and uh, their prior playoff and finals experience. Um, so they have the advantage with that. And I think that they are going to know that mentality going in that uh, this is a mu- almost a must win game for the Celtics. Um, and so if they can take this game five at home, go up uh, three, two, And then uh, even if they drop game six, a game seven at home is something like for a a team that's been to the finals, what was it like six of the last eight years or something stupid like that? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's, they know what they're doing there. That's their element. Um, So that that's just almost playing right into their hands. So I think for the Celtics uh, it's of utmost importance that they win this game five, if they're trying to win this series. Um, And yeah, we'll go into a little bit more detail about that series uh, when we go down to our uh, NBA section there at the, uh, near the end of the show. But, um, yeah, this has been a really fun final so far, and uh, the Celtics have played beyond my expectations at least for sure. Uh, so with that, we can go ahead and move on to our second question here. Uh, the Denver Broncos, is Russell Wilson worth five years, $250 million? Um, You know, this is was being discussed as there was a rumor that that would be kind of the ballpark for his uh, contract extension coming up at some point here. Um, and I, I mean, you know, obviously I'm a homer, um, I'm a diehard Denver Broncos fan. So, uh, obviously a little bit of bias in there, but to me, it's not even a question. Uh, when you look at where this Broncos team has been the last five years, uh, and the, like since Peyton Manning retired and the quarterback carousel, and that being the biggest limiting factor to our success, uh, I, unless Russell Wilson comes out and just bombs it. I don't see how you don't throw whatever money he's asking for at him uh, because he gives you a, a chance to win a Super Bowl. And I think that, like, you know, unless some situation comes up where, like, because we have too good of a roster to get a pick that is going to be high enough to get one of those top-tier guys in the draft. And I think the only situation in which you would move off of Russell Wilson is if you have, like, a surefire, uh, you know, top-of-the-draft worthy quarterback uh that you can uh you have the opportunity to go and draft and and replace Russell Wilson with because obviously that's the better value there uh money wise uh and then you look at Russell Wilson starting to age but the dude's only like I think it's like 33 like he's not in terms of nowadays with quarterbacks he's not even that old like you can get another at least half decade out of him most likely 
um, depending on his play style. And you talk about that a little bit, how he's like, his play style is, uh, you know, very athletic and he gets out of the pocket and uh, makes people miss. So that doesn't necessarily age the best. So we'll just have to see how all that goes. But uh, as a Broncos fan, I don't see why uh, anybody in their right mind, unless you somehow get a Bryce Young um, or one of those top tier guys, like, I don't know how you don't pay Russell Wilson that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, just for the fun sake of uh, us arguing over something, I wanted to try to figure out some sort of why the Broncos shouldn't pay Russell Wilson five years and $250 million. But um, it's it's really impossible to come up with reasons on why you shouldn't pay Russell Wilson that much money. And, I mean, you put it very excellently, like the fact that the – do you want to go back to fucking Paxton Lynch? Like, right. Do you, do you want Drew Locke? Like, because the fact that it, it, I mean, it's just such a crazy idea that the Broncos wouldn't pay him. And yeah, I mean, obviously we have to, we have to ask the question for the simple topic of debate, but where the Broncos were and where the Broncos are going to go are just in two different places. And it was an overnight thing. And that was when, you know, number three came to town. Um, I haven't seen this much buzz in the city since Peyton Manning came here. Um, and it's just so, it's so refreshing to see. Um, and, you know, now with Russell Wilson being here, you have a legitimate chance to not only win your division, but to, you know, go and make a deep playoff run. And I think that's, you know, obviously, I, I think that as older, um, as Russ gets older and older, I think he's probably going to, you know, start to limit himself in regards to, you know, um, being as mobile. I think he'll probably get into like a nice rhythm of like maybe some rollouts and stuff like that. But I don't really think they're going to be, um, you know, expecting him to you know, try to make plays with his feet anymore. Um, I think he's a good enough pocket passer to do that. He just needs to be able to move around a little bit to get the different angles that he gets on so that some of the moon balls he throws. Um, and I think the Broncos have a good enough offensive line and obviously a very talented group of wide receivers to, you know, accommodate him for the next five years. So I, I don't think, you know, that the Broncos championship window is going to be dwindled anytime soon you know minus um you know like a season changing injury which you know let's all cross our fingers on that that happens to no franchise this year but um yeah i mean no question if russ wants five years 320 then you have to pay him that like because I, the only thing i'll say is if we can make it like a team friendly ish deal like somehow keep the cap number real low so that way you know, you can always have a competitive team instead of, you know, being pushed to that that absolute cap, um, like, limit. But um, otherwise, yeah, I think you definitely got to pay Russell Wilson anything he wants. Yeah, I totally agree. You, break it down, or break, you broke it down perfectly. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like you said, he's got the weapons around him. We've got the roster. And as long as the contract isn't uh, to the point where it's going to uh, limit the Broncos' ability to build a roster around them, um, which I don't think that five years, two hundred fifty million would be. Um, and you got to keep in mind that the cap is only going to keep rising, uh, especially with the NFL gaining a ton of steam in the last couple of years. 
uh, you know, other than the uh, whole COVID debacle. And uh, obviously that slowed everything down. But for the most part, the NFL is on the rise uh, and faster than it ever has been. You know what I mean? And so that cap, cap number is just going to keep climbing. Um, and so I think if you can get him for a good contract now, I mean, you look at the Mahomes contract where when that came out, obviously nobody was like, he's not worth that because he's Patrick Mahomes. Um, but when it came out, everybody was like, holy crap, that's a lot of money. Um, and then now a couple of years on from that, the market has raised so much that that is almost a value for his talent level. Um, and obviously that's a different situation with him being a younger quarterback. Um, but the point stands as far as the market is that um, even if you think five years, 250 million is a little bit much right now in two or three years, that cap uh, is going to be high enough that it's not going to be nearly as uh, big of a chunk of the cap space as it uh, initially appears. I think I saw somebody say that that five years, 250 million would um, in this year's cap be like 17 point something percent, um, which is very close to Aaron Donald's new contract as well, which we'll talk about uh, coming up here in a little bit. Um, and so it's, I mean, obviously it's not impossible to win uh, with that type of contract and teams have done it before. And I mean, the Rams, you look at the Rams, they just won a Super Bowl, And uh, even before that contract, they just gave Donald, they're paying a lot of players, a lot of money uh, and still were able to fit enough pieces around. Um, so yeah, we'll just have to see how that plays out. But uh, like you said, I, I literally, can't think of like apart from if Russell Wilson just comes out and it's clearly not the same Russell Wilson we saw before, like in that specific circumstance. Okay. Other than that, I don't, I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't give uh, Russell Wilson that money, especially after you go and uh, spend the capital that you spent to get him too. Like that's just bad business. If you send a couple of first round picks and uh, other picks and three players to another team and then don't, pay the player that you did that for like that, that's just bad business so um but with that uh, we'll go ahead and uh move on to our nfl news here so our first story uh romeo crennel retiring from coaching after 50 years he spent 39 years in the nfl with the giants the new england patriots the new york jets the cleveland browns kansas city chiefs and then most recently the houston texans uh, and he retires with five Super Bowl championship rings on his fingers. And yeah, a probable Hall of Fame coach, uh, you know, great mind, great person in the NFL, uh, highly revered by a lot of people. And uh, yeah, congrats to him. Yeah, you know, kudos to Coach Romeo Cornell. He's like one of those like very iconic faces on the sideline that I'll just always yeah. remember for the rest of my life. Um, you know, and I mean, I, 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 he was on the Jets before I was a Jets fan, you know, like, cause I think he was on the Jets in like the nineties ish, you know, I don't, I, I was born in 95. So, you know, like by the time I was cognitive enough to be a Jets fan, Cornell wasn't there, but uh, yeah, just, you know, congrats on a hall of fame career, congrats on the five rings. And uh, I didn't know he had that many rings, dude. That's uh, that's pretty legit. But I guess, um, most of those what probably came from the Patriots, and then maybe like three from the Patriots, two from the Chiefs, or something like that. I think it was yeah, three from the Patriots. That sounds right because he was part of that. Um, the uh, what was it, two thousand one, three, and four with the Patriots. Right. And then it might have been yep. the Giants, to be honest with you, with uh, Bill Belichick in those nineties teams. 
the other two? I might be wrong on that. What about those? I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to keep sounding like I don't know my facts about Romeo Cornell. So right. we'll just, I know, we'll just congratulate him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The Patriots, for sure. The Patriots, but either way, congratulations coach. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah. Good for him. Like you said, one of those iconic NFL faces on the sideline. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll see his iconic face in the hall of fame here uh, coming up in five years. So uh, Dude, our next story here, is going to be crazy. Dude, I know, I know. I, that's almost my favorite part of the Hall of Fame, seeing the, the bus. Those are always so cool. Uh, and then, so our next story here uh, that we talked about uh, or referenced a little bit earlier, uh, Aaron Donald get, getting a restructured deal from the Rams that makes him the highest paid non-quarterback player in NFL history. Uh, so no new years were added, and he'll be uh, still be a free agent in 2025. However, he'll now earn an average of $31.6 million a year with $95 million guaranteed God, for the next damn. three years. Yeah, that's quarterback money. That's like good quarterback money too. Well, I mean, it's like a little bit more than Kirk Cousins makes, so maybe that's not the best comparison, but, uh, you know, quarterback money. <laughs> Kirk um, Cousins is good. He's good. He's good. I, I just got to, you know, I got to throw the occasional shot at Kirk Cousins because it's Kirk Cousins. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, good for I guess Donald. I hey, right. Obviously deserves it. Uh, in my opinion, the best defensive player of all time. Um, obviously, in that conversation with like LT and Derek White and those guys. Um, but I now that he has a uh, Super Bowl ring, I think he's very much in the conversation, if not the best. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, big time bag by Aaron Donald. And yeah, if he doesn't, I don't know who does because I mean, he just is such a. Did, Difference maker on the defensive line for the. I mean, he literally changed. Like he literally won the Super Bowl for him, you know. So, so it's like, because like, fucking Jamar Chase was gone, dude. Fucking he beat Jalen Ramsey on that shit. So like, and you know Joey's launching that shit. So like, if it wasn't for Aaron Donald getting to Joe Burrow, the fucking Super Bowls in Cincinnati. Like, I'm just saying. It's true. So yeah, Aaron Donald is the man. Aaron Donald's the man, and it's been a privilege to watch Aaron Donald um, play because there's just, like, Von Miller, he's going to go to a Hall of Fame, right? Um, and, you know, both of us have had the privilege to watch him uh, play his whole career. Um, you know, I've got to see most of Peyton Manning's career, um, most of Tom Brady's career, and then, you know, now you see, like, guys like Aaron Donald um, just being completely dominant at a position since he's entered the league, it's especially at such a physical position. And like the reason why he dropped lower, I, cause I think he got picked like 13th or 14th or 12th or some shit, 11th, like I, right out of the top 10 um, by the Rams was because of his stature and his size. They thought he was too small. And now he's the highest paid defense player um, and he makes quarterback money. So, and he's got a ring. So yeah. 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 100%. Like you said, a privilege to watch him. And uh, it's crazy when you think about it because, like, you know, like I was saying in that conversation of best defensive players of all time, just straight up, you're talking about LT, Lawrence Taylor, and you're talking about, like, Derek White. And those guys both come off the edge either as a defensive end or actual, like, linebacker. Um, whereas Aaron Donald's making just about, if not a 
like increased impact than they did as a inside uh, lineman. And he can move across the entire line um, and do whatever. Like he's such a versatile player. And then the, the ability to get that level of disruption uh, and that level of uh, production on the inside where you're facing usually multiple offensive linemen at a time, especially him uh, getting doubled like every single play. Running still, backs. Yeah, getting chipped by running backs like every play, still finding a way uh, to make – a game-changing impact just about every time he's on the field. Um, so, yeah, 100% deserves that, uh, and good for him. Uh, and good for the the Rams to find a way to do it. Uh, there was also a lot of talk about, like, him, uh, Aaron Donald, potentially retiring. And I guess a lot of this money was added to kind of appease that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, 100% he deserves it, and good for the Rams for figuring out how to make that work. Um, cause it would not have been right to see him. I mean, I, I guess like most likely if the Rams didn't get it done, he was probably just going to retire, but could you imagine if the Rams didn't get it done and then he goes to another team like that just would have been wrong. He's one of those players that I can only see in a Rams uniform. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like Aaron Donald leaving. I mean, he can come to the Jets. He can come it's to the true. Jets. That, that that would be fine. I can see his ass in a Jets uniform. I'm cool with it. But um, no, absolutely. Yeah, you got to lock him up for life. He's got to be a for lifer, you know, because, um, you know, somebody's team didn't do that with another star-studded passer. Give me PTSD. All I'm saying is. All I'm, all I'm saying is 58 should probably still be here, huh? Yeah, I, I uh, really, really wish he was. I wish he came back in free agency too, but uh, obviously happy with Randy Gregory and uh, excited to see what he can do there. But, yeah, I mean, uh, the only well, saving they'll grace. Give him that back too. That's true. Good for him on that. But the only saving grace for the Broncos in that situation is that one of the picks that we sent to the Seahawks for uh, – Russell Wilson was one of the picks that he got back for that Von Miller trade. So in that sense, he like contributed to the, you know, advancement of the franchise with that trade. But like, otherwise that, that right. was just a painful day for Broncos country. Uh, but yeah, I mean, good for Aaron Donald. Like you said, uh, you know, one of those players that you never want to see leave and go to another team. Uh, it looks like the Rams have done that for him. Uh, and then uh, another player on the Rams receiving extension uh, who also deserves it, Cooper Cup, uh, getting a three-year extension worth uh, $80 million from the Rams. He'll earn $14 million and some change for the next two years on his contract. And when his extension kicks in, he'll be making $26.7 million a year. That adds up to the fourth richest wide receiver contract in the NFL right now, uh, which is a major value for the Rams, especially as the market will only continue to grow. Um, and yeah, I mean, 26 million, obviously you look at that, you're like, dang, that's a lot of money. But you think about the contracts that have been signed uh, this offseason, especially at the wide receiver position, and uh, that market just keeps inflating and inflating. And uh, somehow 26.7 million now works out to be the fourth highest uh, wide receiver contract. So, you know, given his production last year, he looked like a straight up superstar, um, just doing whatever his team needed and uh, a real difference, a difference maker. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a value, in my opinion, for Cooper Cup. Oh, 100%. 100%. For Cooper Cup, like, that's 
Cooper Cup is a bad man. And mm-hmm. now teamed up with uh, Allen Robinson, it's going to be lights out. I don't know how the fuck the Rams keep paying these guys. How does this keep happening? How does the Ram like they don't have the same rules as everybody else or what, what's going on? Like, is it is it the L.A. thing? Are they just like letting stuff slide? Because how are you paying Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford? Um, who else are they paying on that team? Leonard Floyd. Um, like they just have so much money. Um, and I, they just paid Allen Robinson. Um, yeah, it's fucking crazy how the Rams are able to do this, but that's how good teams, um, stay good teams and shout out to the Rams. Congratulations to Cooper cup and his family on that bag. Um, and yeah, fourth, fourth highest for a, the team that just won the Super Bowl. Um, that, that sounds like a bargain to me because what you got Tyreek and Devante probably like one and two, right? And all I'm going to say is those teams have accomplished much less than the Rams and Cooper cup. So uh, great value for Cooper cup. Who's, I don't know. Where would you rank Cooper cup in terms of uh, like top five wide receivers? Where do you have him? I think if he gives me another season at the production level that he had last year, he's like top three conversation for sure. And then right now I put him somewhere between four and five. I think he's definitely in that top five conversation, but if he does what he did last year again, then you can start to talk about three, two, one, in my opinion. Um, He's such a good player. I think that's that's fair. Yeah. He's and he's like, he's gotten better like pretty much every year. And so you like to see that, but then I think this is really his first year where he's been um, like, he's been a star, but this, this was a whole different year that he went into. And I think that starts the conversation for him. Um, And then I just want to see it again. Um, But yeah, I think he's somewhere in there for sure. You think he's top five though? I think he's top five. Yeah. uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's top five. Um, I probably got him at like, I probably have him at five right now. Right. Um, and for me personally, uh, I, I probably need to see like, like two more years of this level of production mm-hmm. to move him from five. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's less than five, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I love Cooper cup. I'm not saying anything about it whatsoever. It's just, you know, like everybody else on that list has been like consistently pumping out huge numbers and is a consistent difference maker on their team. Um, and I'm not saying that Cooper cup hasn't been that. Um, but you know, now you have Allen Robinson who I believe, you know, uh, we, you know, we had some underrated free agency, uh, picks, uh, a couple shows ago. And, you know, Allen Robinson was one of those for me because, um, I just really do love Allen Robinson so much. I just think he puts in the work. Um, he's always been a very, very underrated wide receiver, and now I think in LA with Matt Staffy and Cooper Cup on the other side, I think he's really gonna. Uh, I think he's really primed for a breakout season, um, and so I want to see how that affects Cooper Cup, um, just because I don't really think that Robert Woods and Odell um, could have really just. Those are two different types of wide receivers where Cooper Cup is that true number one wide receiver. So I didn't really think that they were going to steal a lot of like Cooper Cup shine, I, I would say. But um, with Allen Robinson, Allen Robinson could potentially do that a little bit. 
So I like to see how that kind of works and his relationship with Allen Robinson as far as on the field goes. And then, um, yeah, give me, give me that this year. Give me another one next year. And then I would probably put him at three um, behind Devontae. And I don't know. It's really tough because of DeAndre Hopkins um, being suspended. So I think kind of by default right now, Devontae is number one. But, uh, you know, I'm a big D-hop guy, so I'm hoping that everything comes back clear and I can put DeAndre Hopkins back at number one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually right there with you because I was kind of debating, like, who would be my number one because it has been Hopkins. But, um, yeah, the suspension is rough, and there's a lot of talent in the league right now. So I think I'd have to put him at number two behind Devontae. And then I think you think about, like, Stephon Diggs. I think I would almost go – Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, Cooper Cup, and then like Justin Jefferson, I think. Maybe Jamar did Chase. Think, maybe Debo. Did you say, um I gotta go at like maybe eight. I got I got Justin Jefferson at like six. Who do you have at like I got five? Justin I got I got Cooper Cup at five. Right. I got Mike Evans at four. Ooh, okay, okay. I got Stefan Diggs at three. And then DeAndre and Devontae. I got, yeah, DeAndre and Devontae up top there. Dude, I fuck with Mike Evans, bro. I, I really fuck with Mike Evans. I think he's – I get that he's a different – and then – you have Michael Thomas coming back this year too. It's very true. It's very true. I think he's kind of been lost in the conversation because of the injuries um, and just not being on the field. But um, he's definitely somewhere in that top ten conversation. I think for me, Mike Evans is one of those players because if you're talking about like if you're ranking wide receivers by like physical ability, he's for sure top five for me in terms of like overall as a wide receiver, but then also their proven production, what they've done uh, and what they still have left in the tank. Most likely he's in the top 10, probably like six, seven, eight, somewhere in there for me. Um, but I, I do have him outside of the top five personally, but I can see it either way. And I think like Justin Jefferson, I think you can argue because Mike Evans is a Super Bowl champion and he's had more production overall in his career. I can see why you would put him above Justin Jefferson. I think like, JJ has shown in, in the time that he's been in the league that he's a superstar and, in my opinion, better than Mike Evans. But he hasn't had the same amount of production or achievements. So I, I can definitely see that. I think they're all right in that conversation. But, um, yeah, I mean, Cooper Cup, right in the middle of that conversation. Uh, I think I had him at four. You had him at five. I think that's pretty appropriate. Like we said, once he shows uh, more production – uh, going forward and stays at that level of production too. I, I, I don't want to see him take a step back this year because um, I think he's capable of getting even better. Um, so yeah, we'll just have to see for Cooper Cup, but for sure deserves that money. Um, and yeah, I mean, fourth richest wide receiver contract in the NFL lines right up with my list. So uh, except, you know, different people ahead of him. <laughs> but um, yeah. And then one more wide receiver contract here. Hunter Renfro signing a two-year, $32 million extension with $21 million guaranteed. 
Uh, that contract puts him at $16 million a year, which is a huge, huge bargain for the Raiders, uh, considering all the other wide receiver contracts signed this season. We just talked about, uh, you know, Cooper Cup receiving $26.7 million a year. So, yeah, I mean, when you look at that Cooper Cup contract compared to uh, $16 million a year for Hunter Renfro, he's been a really solid player for the Raiders uh, going in the slot there. He's a smart player. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he knows the game. He's only gotten better every year um, and has been – was like Derek Carr's favorite target last year, and he had Darren Waller on his team. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, high praise there and then a uh, uh, good extension for him uh, with – uh, good value as well. You talk about like the Broncos contracts, Cortland Sutton's making 20 million a year. And I think Tim Patrick's only making like 13 or 14. So um, he's right, right in there as a, a really good value uh, receiver for the type of production that he's putting up. Yeah. Hunter Renfro has been balling out for the Raiders. Um, and the nice thing about this contract to me is this is the type of contract that I, I would like to see more of. Because this is rewarding a player that's done really good things for your franchise and is a, a key cornerstone of your franchise, but you're not taking a huge gamble on him just yet. You know, you're extending him for two more years, so you're still going to, you know, you're showing him some love, give, giving him some more money, um, and obviously uh, a couple more years added to that contract. But then you're setting yourself up for a nice, massive contract for him and for you that's just a little bit delayed right now. Because then, you know, we can kind of see how the wide receiver market settles a little bit in two years when he's due another or whenever he's due another contract extension, then they'll be able to either uh, like put him in the top five there if that's the kind of production he continues to produce um, as far as money wise. Um, obviously, you're going to have Devonte Adams um, that you're paying as well. So you're going to, you know, probably pay him a little bit less than Devonte. Um, but yeah, it's just an overall solid move uh, by the Raiders, uh, solid move for Hunter Renfro. And yeah, I just hope he's able to stay healthy and continue to ball out so he can get another one. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a great point that you bring up about uh, setting himself up for another contract here soon rather than trying to do something long term right now uh, at a lower price. Um, so yeah, hopefully he gets that big bag later on and now he gets a, a medium bag and um gets to continue playing with Derek Carr and uh, that Raiders offense that's looking to be pretty good this year. Um, although, you know, hopefully not as a Broncos fan. But, uh, well, yeah. and then he's going to get looks, dude. He's like, he, he really yeah. is going to get lots of, lots of looks now because, yeah, you're going to be double, you're going to be double worried about fucking Devontae Adams and Darren Waller. Right. Like Hunter Renfro is going to get some looks this year. He, uh, another potential breakout season. Yeah, it's a really great point. He's kind of uh, comparable in that sense to Tim Patrick on the Broncos, where he's a great situational, like third down guy. Like you really need a few yards and you need a reliable target that you know is going to be in the right spot and catch the ball if you throw it to him. Uh, those are the type of uh, receivers, although they have different uh, archetypes physically. Those are the two types of receivers that uh, Tim Patrick and Hunter Renfro are. Um, and especially in an offense that, number one has a good enough quarterback to take advantage of that. And then number two has enough other weapons to take the attention off of that guy. Uh, they're going to get a lot of production. Um, and kind of like uh, we were talking about last year, uh, Hunter Renfro was essentially Derek Carr's best friend um, as far as a, a receiving threat, even over Darren Waller on their team who uh, is a superior talent. So um, yeah, I mean, very excited to see what he can do. 
Um, and uh, that, again, that, that Raiders offense looking hungry for sure, uh, especially with Josh Jacobs in the backfield too, you know, uh, lots to talk about there. So, yeah, so that'll do it for our NFL news this week. And uh, with that, I will go ahead and hand it off, uh, over to my co-host Enrique for the New York Jets. Awesome. Um, so luckily um, with my beloved Jets, it's just been a real nice, quiet OTA so far. Um, nothing really too, uh, you know, too alarming. Uh, Garrett Wilson did have an injury the other day. Um, he was uh, shown limping off the practice field after catching a touchdown. Um, but, you know, he made it back to uh, the next day's OTA, no problem, um, you know, with them just, you know, taking it a little bit easier on him. Um, but otherwise, just been seven on seven, no pads yet. Um, and Robert Sala had said that a lot of the OTAs this year are going to be um, from the shoulders up. You know what I mean? And that's honestly what I love to hear from a coach. Um, just because we do have some guys like Carl Lawson coming back from injury um, and some guys that, um, you know, just in general are still just very young developmental players. You know, I mean, even – uh, you know, our quarterback himself, Zach, uh, Zach Wilson, is still develop, uh, developing as a quarterback. And speaking of Zach, um, he's added um, like 16 pounds of muscle to his frame. Um, they said he's looking nice and beefy, nice and thick. Um, and, yeah, he's he's just looking cut up at, um, at OTAs right now. Um, the other guys that we've um, – We've been really excited to see our our safeties. Um, we got Jordan Whitehead, and then um, I think our backup safeties. Uh, let me let me see what his name is. But um, anyways, both of our safeties have just been playing. Oh, Ashton Davis, Ashton Davis. That's that's the other one. Um, both of them have just been making plays. Um, DJ Reed, another free agency uh, signee, just been making plays as far as, um, you know, being able to intercept the ball in practice um, <clears throat> and just, you know, make very athletic interceptions. Um, I think Ashton Davis had like a one-handed, you know, tiptoe grab interception on Zach Wilson. Um, and Jordan Whitehead was able to pick Zach off um, in the end zone. So, um, and then there's been relatively conflicting reports in regards to how good uh, Zach's been. They said that he... There's a lot of reports saying that, you know, he his confidence is up. He's speaking louder in the huddle. He's, you know, obviously very well meshed with the guys. He spent, you know, pretty much the whole beginning part of the offseason uh, hanging out with the guys, going out, um, connecting, you know, throwing balls. Um, you know, he hit up Garrett Wilson almost immediately after getting drafted. Um, and, yeah, the right now um, the – favorite target of his um in training camp or in OTAs has been um the new tight end Tyler uh Conklin which is uh, very nice to see because you don't always know how these uh, free agency signings are going to go um but it's nice to see that Conklin's already starting to make an impact um on the Jets offense um CJ Uzama has been um uh, more uh sidelined um not necessarily. I don't think it's from an injury or anything like that. I, I forget why um, why he wasn't. Uh, I, oh, I think he's on vacation or something like that. He's been excused from the mandatory OTAs or something along those lines. But um, 
yeah, CJ Uzama was um, tweeting out that he's watching film on um, Jordan Reed. So, you know, at least he's maybe away from the uh, practice field itself, but it sounds like he's still getting his mental reps in. Sounds like Tyler Conklin's fitting right in. Um, Sauce Gardner's been lights out in far, as far as OTAs. They said that he looks just like a physical freak out there. Um, he was locking Garrett Wilson up um, at, in one-on-ones the other day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've just, I'm just very, very happy. I'm very excited to see how the offense is going to continue to develop. Um, I'm excited to – honestly, I haven't been this excited for preseason games um, for a really long time because – I'm really stoked to see how these second-year players and these first-year rookies are going to all mesh together. Um, I'm excited to see the Wilson-to-Wilson connection. I'm excited to see uh, Brees uh, Hall and Michael Carter um, out there together because I think that's going to be a, re- a very dangerous running back tandem. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm so – like, we have three stud tight ends. Um, I – I've been seeing a lot of lists like ranking the Jets wide receivers kind of like mid tier. And I think that's partially because um, there's some unproven guys, you know, like Elijah Moore. We didn't get to see a lot of him his rookie year. Um, Obviously Braxton Berrios isn't a true uh, wide receiver. He's kind of like fourth on our depth chart right now. Um, And then you have Corey Davis who didn't necessarily ball out this year. Um, You know, he had struggles last year as well. And then, you know, the rookie Garrett Wilson. So, you know, there's a lot of unproven guys at the wide receiver position, but I think that this could be a position group that can find itself, you know, rally, I think in the top half of the league, um, just because of what they potentially uh, can do on the field altogether. You know, all, all of them are very different wide receivers. All of them are very explosive and very fast in their own ways. Um, and, I think Zach Wilson has the perfect amount of talent and developing that needs to happen with himself to really bring this stuff out of these guys. I mean, you know, we we saw last year that Zach has a, a beautiful deep ball, so I think he's going to be able to, um, you know, explore that even more so with Garrett Wilson. And then now Corey Davis doesn't have to be the solo uh, guy out there, which is going to open up, um, you know, deep routes, and deep balls for him as well, which is kind of um, one of his specialties. Um, and then, you know, that's going to leave the middle open for Elijah Moore, um, who's pr- probably going to play the slot um, a bit more than the other guys, um, just because stature. Um, so, yeah, I'm just re- – and then, you know, over the field, you got these two monsters of tight ends. Um, and then, you know, you got pass catching um, – backs outside as well so yeah it's just the offense i believe is just going to be phenomenal this year and uh i think the defense is going to take a huge step forward with uh carl loss coming back from injury and uh sauce gardner being there um you know jordan whitehead dj reed all those guys um it sounds like ashton davis who was a third round pick for us back in 2020 is starting to make some moves and show why he was a third round pick back then and uh, yeah if we can get denzel mims in the picture it's over so, yeah, it's, it's been a beautiful offseason for the Jets so far. I'm just hoping that um, we can continue to not have in, any injuries. Um, Zach c- can continue to develop. And, um, yeah, just that, you know, the, the rookies and the second-year guys can just really, you know, continue to have this positive progress. You know, nothing bad has happened. 
you know, Elijah Vera Tucker is moving over to right guard with the new addition of Lincoln Tomlinson. So, uh, you know, solidify the offensive line. Um, Makai Beckton still hasn't come back. So that's the most probably alarming thing right now um, is he's, he, he's still not at OTAs. But, um, you know, that's almost a – we're just waiting for him to come back at this point. So I don't necessarily know why. Uh, there wasn't a reason given, um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it, dude. It's been it's been nice and quiet for the Jets as far as OTAs so far. Good, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you know this is the the type of year where things are just coming together. They're putting in that work, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, you're obviously excited to see what they can end up putting on the field, especially like you said with that offense. Uh, you have the dual-headed monster now uh, at running back with Michael Carter uh, going in his second year, and then Brees Hall, who I'm really excited about, um, and I think they're both going to find uh, a lot of production. Um, and then with that running game, helps out the passing game with Zach Wilson there. Um, hopefully he can take a good leap this year, and I love – we've talked about this before. I love everything he's been doing, like, in the offseason, and you love everything he's been doing in the offseason in terms of, like, engaging his teammates and setting up uh, – times to work out with them and building that chemistry he went to uh you just brought this up to me last night too he went to the uh i think they call it tight end university or tight end camp or it's something like that where they have a uh, yeah. like a lot of the big tight ends come together in the off season and have a little training camp together and uh, help each other out and he went there to pass uh, and obviously you know you talk about i loved that from him because you talk about you guys bringing in those free agent tight ends, especially with CJ Ozama, who I'm so excited to um, see what he can do in this offense. Um, and that shows that Zach Wilson sees that and he sees, oh, crap, I just got some nice weapons. Let me go learn how to use them better. You know what I mean? That's the stuff you love, you love, love, love to see from your young quarterback that's trying to get better. I love that stuff. Um, so I'm really excited for this offense to come together. And like you said, a lot of unproven guys at wide receiver, but a lot of guys with upside. Um, and I'm excited to see what Braxton Berrios can do. It seemed like him and Zach had a connection, even though he's not, like you said, he's like fourth, fifth on the uh, death, uh, depth chart. But uh, I'm excited, excited to see if he can take a step up in his role this year with Zach. And then, uh, like you mentioned with Denzel Mims too, the interesting thing I feel like with him is it like, correct me if I'm wrong, because you know the roster better than I do, but um, in terms of that, like big jump ball receiver, that role kind of still remains unfilled with the wide receivers you guys have. So the door is still open for Denzel Mims, even though he hasn't impressed to this point, the door is open for him to come and take a role uh, if he can get better. No, and, and you're absolutely correct. The physical jump ball wide receiver, the Mike Mike Evans, um, Drake London-esque wide receiver position, no. I wouldn't say that that's uh, any of the guys besides Denzel's skill set right now. I mean, Garrett Wilson has um, jump ball skills in regards to him just being able to jump really high um, right. and pinpoint the ball, but it's more – a la like Antonio Brown type shit then right fucking like a physical um Megatron type thing so yeah I would I'm dude I'm rooting for Denzel you know you uh you definitely hyped me up on him coming out of um college and uh yeah I'm I'm hyped for Denzel 
Um, if I, I don't necessarily know if it's Denzel or if it's the maybe the coaching staff. There's a lot of rumors that straight up the coaching staff just doesn't like him. Like they just don't see how he fits into the system. They, you know, they've had their differences with him and they just are okay with benching him or not suiting him up altogether. Um, but, you know, at the same time, he's had his fair share of drops. Um, you know, sometimes he doesn't always show out in the sense that he needs to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he has all the natural talent. And I'm definitely looking for him to step up um, this year because if Denzel Mims could step up and then all these other guys could just play to their potential, then, I mean, I just don't see how, um, you know, we don't – I mean, we could possibly even crack the top ten as far as offense goes. Um, but it all it all comes off of number two, you know, and just like you said, um, you know, him going to tight end university, him, you know, literally meeting up with all of his teammates and putting in work with them. It's all the stuff that you want to see. It's all the right steps. Him coming in bulked up, um, you know, shredded. Um, that's an even better sign, obviously, with him getting hurt last year. So, yeah, I'm just – I'm so stoked. Um, I've never seen so much hope uh, as far as the team um, uh, looking this prominent for the Jets. I've just – I've never – like, even when we went to the AFC Championship and we had, like – legit stars like Darrell Revis and all those guys just locking stuff down, Nick Mangold and DeBrickishaw. Um it's it was a different type of excitement, but this this excitement is nice because you just know that some it's gonna get there one day. You know, and like I tell everybody, if we win seven games next year, that's a Super Bowl for me. I would be amazed if we won seven games next year. We have a really tough schedule. Um our first four games are against the AFC North, you know, so um, I got our literal first game is against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. So, like, it's tough right out the gate. But you know, I think that um, I think that this team is built for adversity. Um, I think we played a lot of teams very, very close last year, and we didn't have half the talent we have this year. And I'm I'm just really excited, dude. I'm just really excited. Yeah, man. I mean, honestly, right back at you. And uh, doing this podcast has really kind of endeared me to the Jets even more. Uh, you know obviously being your friend and uh, talking about him with you, like uh, I've started to gain more insight uh, coming from you as far as the team and uh, what's going on there uh, and not, or, lo- or seeing the kind of inside track of it as opposed to just looking from the outside as a Broncos fan. Um, and yeah, it's been really cool to see you guys go from, I mean, even just you talk about from like Sam Darnold, so 2018, and then you get that new staff in there Sam Darnold doesn't work out, but then you get Zach Wilson, start building around him with uh, the new uh, GM and the new head coach there. Um, And, you know, I mean, it's just been up and up and up and uh, really excited to see what this, this Jets team can do and uh, what they evolve into long-term too. So uh, yeah, I mean, and it, you know, I always have my, my little uh, love for Denzel Mims, but that thing, the thing is with that wide receiver room is like, like you said, you guys have enough talent there already, even not even talking about Denzel Mims that uh, you can be a really, really good wide receiving room. So if he can manage to turn around his dropping woes and uh, become a uh, weapon for you guys, that's just a cherry on top almost, you know what I mean? So uh, yeah. And then, I mean, you talk about that defense too. You got some pieces coming together. Uh, you're talking about J.R. Reed, who I'm excited to see uh, with the Jets. I thought he was good uh, prior. He was with the Seahawks, right? 
JR. Oh, uh, who's that? The DJ player. Reed? Or DJ, I'm sorry, not yeah. JR. DJ Reed. Yeah, he was with the Seahawks. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for him. I liked him over there with Seahawks. I'm pretty sure that's where he was at. So, um, but yeah, and then, uh, you know, I mean, uh, a lot of players, like you said, coming back from injury, Carl Lawson, uh, and then hopefully Mackay Becton. And there's just a lot of talent on this roster. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm excited to see where the Jets can go as well. Um, and then I suppose with that, we can move on to the Denver Broncos. Uh, so, you know, apart from the regular OTAs going on, uh, we were talking about this off air is like, usually this is the most quotations boring part of the year. Uh, it's just the dudes putting in work, getting better. Um, hopefully you don't see injuries and things like that. Uh, but usually there's not a ton to talk about. Um, but with the Denver Broncos, this year is an exception. Uh, the biggest story going down this week, the Denver Broncos uh, enter an agreement with the Walton Penner Group to purchase uh, the team for $4.65 billion dollars. Um, so yeah, obviously Walton, Rob Walton, uh, the owner of Walmart. Um, so, you know, we all have our opinions on uh, the corporation Walmart, but he now owns the Denver Broncos, the team I like. So, uh, I'm a Walmart family. I'm a Walmart man. Now it's just, uh, the life I have to live. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this is the life I, this is the life I've uh, chosen for myself. So, uh, some fun facts about this whole situation. Thanks to Zach Stevens. Uh, from the D- uh, DMVRR team. Uh, please go check out their content. Those guys are awesome. Um, so the price completely blows the previous high of $2.275 billion by David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers in 2018 uh, out of the water, more than doubling it. Um, so just an absurd selling price for the Broncos. Uh, shows how much the NFL has grown since then as well. Um, and then the franchise, the Broncos, was bought by uh, Pat Bowen in 1984 for $78 million. So you think about that, and then now we're worth $4.65 billion. It's just absolutely absurd, the uh, amount of money around the NFL. Uh, with a new worth of $4.65 billion via their sale price, the Denver Broncos organization on its own is worth more than 23 other NFL owners. Uh, <laughs> just yeah, like... Damn. Yeah, it's just like that's just the team. Like that's not. Then you factor in Rob Walton himself, who is the 19th richest person in the world, according to Forbes. Um, so he's just like an absurdly wealthy man. Uh, and then right. another one of the uh, bidding groups, uh, Josh Harris, who actually owned the 76ers, uh, my, my one of my basketball teams that I wish I root for. Uh, their group reportedly offered $5 billion flat if they were assured that nobody would have the opportunity to, ma- uh, to match that offer. But the Broncos denied in favor of the initial highest blind uh, better win uh, structure to the sale. So basically, for uh, those who aren't aware of like kind of the situation with the sale, uh, Pat Bowen passed away. Um, I want to say it was like 2019 or 2020. And um, he then like even a couple years before that, when he developed Alzheimer's, uh, the team has been under the Bowlin trust and the, the family and the trust there. And so when you sell a team with the trust, I guess the, something in the contract says that uh, the team had to be sold. Uh, like there's like a financial obligation to the trust to get as much money out of it as possible. 
So they have to sell it by the highest bidder as opposed to a usual NFL sale where you can pick, like it doesn't, you're not beholden to whoever bids the most, you can just pick um, and you, you have control over that. So because of this Broncos situation, they had to do the, the bidding a certain way. Um, but it sounds like they could have accepted Josh Harris's offer. I don't know exactly how all of that works, um, but apparently that would have been like an option but the, the Broncos just kind of out of show of class and, and not uh, kind of being undermined almost uh, or undermining other, you know, business partners and things like that. They chose to not uh, do it kind of under the table and just say, well, this is the way that we said it was going to be done. So we're going to do it that way. Um, and then they, uh, with that, the uh, Josh Harris group did not end up bidding 5 million and Rob Walton ended up winning it for 4.65. So an interesting situation there. Um, And then an interesting little kind of move that they tried to sneak under the table and kind of cool the Broncos. Like, I mean, I don't really have an opinion either way of like which one of the owners uh, that I would have wanted or like, but I do think it's kind of cool that they chose to do it the respectful way instead of like taking the more money uh, and like, and then, you know, not screwing over, well, I guess kind of in a sense, screwing over the other people. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Interesting situation there, but, um, and then another thing going on with that whole situation, the ownership group there has had talks with Peyton Manning about an advisory role, uh, as well as possibly equity in the team. And interestingly, the advisory role would likely be to the ownership group itself, as opposed to in the football operations side of the team. So like, because when you think about bringing Peyton Manning into the organization, you would think about him, or at least I did initially think about him more as like within uh, like, you know, uh, John Elway's role, or like you talk about like Bruce Arians um, over there in Tampa, where they're kind of in a a background role where they can throw some advice out, but they're not necessarily like, you know, a specific position. Uh, But the talks that are happening right now apparently are that he would actually be advising the ownership group as far as like you know his perspective of like this is what as a player I would want from ownership but then also his familiarity with Denver and the Denver Broncos and all that just being kind of like you know an assistant or a a, a somebody to, to just help them out there advise um, so yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting note and we'll have to see if that happens. Love to see Peyton taking an interest there. Uh, sorry, Colts fans. He's ours. You can uh, right. get away to tear down that, that statue outside your stadium. Sorry. Just got <laughs> uh, or we, um, just we own that over forehead. Here. Forehead is all ours. We own that forehead. What were you saying? No, I was going to say that uh, they just got to send a statue over here. Oh, exactly. It's ours now. Well, yeah, we'll just put it outside. Uh, we'll just put it outside. What What is the Bronco Stadium called now? Uh, Empower Field at Mile High. Oh yeah, I, Empower I Field. At, I don't. I don't know. It's better, it's better than, than Sports, Sports Authority. Authority. Yeah. Yeah. I I still kind of yeah. miss Invesco just because it's what I grew up with. Like, but then. You know, I grow up and realize, oh, it's just an investment company, like a random investment company called Invesco. Right. But as a kid, it's like a cool word, Invesco. 
Right. Sounds well, cool. yeah, yeah, I still call it Invesco all the time. So yeah, I'm just like, I, I almost yeah, I almost called it Invesco just now. So right, I do get it. I do get it. I wonder if uh, I wonder I wonder how Walmart ties the stadium is going to get. Dude, I I don't know. Well, I've actually. Are we going to sell jerseys at Walmart now? Are they, I do? Do they have to? I mean, like that would. You, Rob Walton would be a not a good businessman to buy an NFL franchise for $4.65 billion and also own Walmart and not deck out every single Walmart in Colorado with every single piece of Broncos gear physically possible. Like that store better to literally have orange and blue walls. Otherwise he's not doing his job correctly because you can make yeah. so much money off of that. It's not even funny. Like, even, even like a cheap discounted jersey from Walmart right. would sell like a motherfucker, dude. That's what I'm saying. Walmart exclusive Broncos jersey that's like, you don't even have to do much, like $15 less than the normal NFL selling price because th- those jerseys don't ever go on sale, like almost ever. So right. do it like what the normal or what the uh, like mid-tier ones are like 100 bucks. Do like 80. Boom. Like that's, you just sold out immediately you just sold out (laughs) no but um yeah an interesting situation i mean you know people get that much money for a reason as far as uh the way they they get to that point um so everybody has their opinion on that um but uh yeah i mean broncos have a new owner uh, and he's the owner of walmart so that's a done deal um but moving on here to the Broncos OTA and mandatory mini camp notes I have. Uh, there's, a, I mean, as far as just things developing and storylines, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, it's been kind of interesting and I, I couldn't really, I wanted to include more, but uh, I started writing an essay here, so I had to shorten it up. So we will begin with Lloyd Cushenberry. Uh, he's impressing with improved physicality in his game and he's looking to solidify himself as the starter at center. Uh, he was part of that uh, LSU championship team in 2019, came in. He's a really smart guy, but he struggled physically. He's just not been strong enough, um, and he hasn't put on the weight that he has needed to, but um, he's done that this offseason, and he looks a lot better so far. Um, so hopefully uh, that's it, and he'll be our long-term starter. I really like that guy, um, but he was looking kind of on the bubble of um, losing his spot to potentially like Quinn Miners. Um uh, or uh, we drafted Luke Walton, I think it was, or Luke Wattenberg, that's what it was, from Washington um, as well at center. They could uh, could look to take that spot even still. But, um, yeah, hopefully Lloyd can uh, hold it down there. And then Michael Ojemudia, a corner for us, performing well and looking to find a role after being injured and stuck behind others on the death chart last year. Um, he's going into his third or fourth year. Um, and, yeah, he was just stuck behind people last year struggled with injuries, but then had a really strong stretch uh, right at the end of the season there. Had a good game against the Steelers. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, excited to see what he can do. We can use all the help at corner we can get, uh, especially you talk about the Raiders with all those receiving threats um, and, you know, all the other teams in the AFC West uh, and the quarterbacks that we're going to be facing. Uh, corner is definitely one of those uh, super important positions that we need to get down. So hopefully he can uh, help us out there. And then another corner, uh, Pat Sertan, looking much improved from an already great rookie year, 
has talked about being much more comfortable schematically and the game slowing down for him. Um, you love to see it, obviously. Uh, you know, he was already borderline Pro Bowl um, as a rookie. You know what I mean? And so glad to see him uh, getting even better. A lot of corners take that big jump in the second year. Uh, there's just a lot of information to intake. And um, yeah, for him to be that good in his rookie year, I'm excited to see what he can do going here forward. Uh, Jerry Judy, unfortunately dealing with lingering groin issues. Uh, not severe, according to the Broncos, but time will tell. You never know with this kind of stuff. Uh, hopefully, you know, we're in the middle of summer right now, so hopefully he can uh, get the rest that he needs. And uh, it sounds like the Broncos are, are not trying to push him too far, so uh, hopefully that doesn't come up again, uh, but we'll have to see. Uh, Baron Browning, primarily working as an edge, uh, played there in college, but also had good snaps as an inside linebacker as a rookie. And uh, I would look for him to be a hybrid player and potentially fill a, a weak or strong linebacker role as the Broncos are looking to incorporate more 4-3 looks into their primarily 3-4 defense. So 4-3 uh, being uh, when you have four defensive linemen uh, and then three uh, linebackers, a uh, middle linebacker, and then your two uh, outside linebackers. Think like the Dallas Cowboys uh, run a primarily 4-3. And then the Broncos generally – you have three defensive linemen and then two edge players who are technically linebackers and then two inside linebackers. Um, and so the, the Broncos are looking to, uh, they mostly had that three, four structure. Um, that's what Von Miller played in his entire career here. Um, and uh, now they're with Ajiro Evero coming over from the Rams. They're trying to kind of mix it up and still be primarily three, four, uh, but add some of that 4-3 in there. And Barry Browning is a perfect player for that because, like I said, he played uh, at edge in college, but then he came in as a rookie and uh, had good snaps as an inside linebacker. Um, and as a rookie, you know what I mean? That's a hard position as a rookie to fill, um, and he played well. Um, and so uh, he can kind of play a hybrid role there uh, and just do both at the same time. Uh, so, yeah. And then uh, – Let's see here. Uh, so uh, another linebacker here. Uh, uh, one or an interesting uh, undrafted free agent that we brought, uh, brought in. You talk about the Broncos being one of those teams that uh, often gets undrafted free agents and are able to uh, find them a role and get them in the door and uh, have often hit. You think about like Philip Lindsay, uh, guys like that. Uh, so uh, unfortunately of Alabama Crimson Tide fame, you know, not too happy about that, but uh, he's an edge. Christopher Allen looks to overcome missing two years of his college career, including all of last year to injury, uh, but was able to put up six sacks, 13 tackles for loss, and 37 total tackles in his 2020 campaign, uh, flashing interesting potential as a rotational down lineman or edge at the next level. Um, so I, I, I thought he was a really interesting player, and so far there's been people talking about him at camp. Uh, he's one of those players, uh, like I said, he missed a lot of time uh, because of injury. And so he, despite the potential he showed, where he probably could have been like a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, uh, he goes undrafted and then the Broncos pick him up uh, and give him more than the average in uh, guaranteed money too. So that they know that he's one of those guys that is more talented than uh, that undrafted free agent label. Um and so, yeah, really excited to see uh, if he can get in there. 
I'm not expecting him even maybe this year to have an actual role, but I think long-term he could be one of those guys that develops into a rotational guy. Uh, And then Jonas Jonas Griffith looking to secure a spot over the presumed Alex Singletary at starting inside linebacker and has performed well beyond expectations when caught up in his rookie year due to injuries and has had a solid camp thus far. Um, He's a really smart guy. He has a good understanding of the game. Uh, A well-spoken guy uh, watching and listening to his press conferences. Uh, It's fun to hear him talk and talk about uh, his experiences in the game and get better. Uh, And yeah, the Broncos are looking at um, Josie Jewell, who obviously brought back as our number one inside linebacker. Um, But then we also brought in from the Eagles, Alex Singletary. And the, it seems like the common sentiment is that Alex Singletary is kind of penciled in right now as that second uh, starting inside linebacker when you talk about a 3-4 scheme. Um, but uh, Jonas Griffith, with those snaps that he had last year, getting better this year, could look to upset that. And I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised because Alex Singletary, I, when, I pay, or when we picked him up, he's also a special teams ace. And so that's kind of what I thought we brought him in for. And I was a little bit surprised to see that sentiment that he was going to be penciled in as the second starting linebacker when, uh, though he did lead the Eagles with tackles at times, and I think he did this past year, he has not had consistent uh, good production at like starting inside linebacker. Um, He's obviously, you know, can get better. Um, but I think Jonas Griffith is a young guy with a lot of talent uh, that could rise even quicker. So we'll just have to see how that plays out. It might end up being a little camp battle there. Uh, and then Montreal, Washington, wide receiver, uh, who's also probably going to be a returner for us uh, for the Sanford Bulldogs and drafted by the Broncos in round five, pick number 162 this year, uh, looks to shore up the Broncos return game after only returning one kick for a score since 2015, which is kind of insane. Uh, Montrell is a shifty and explosive player in space, and though he's very raw with his technique and ability on the offensive side of the ball, I think he could uh, make a name for himself in the league on special teams specifically. Uh, I urge any Broncos fan to seriously look up his game against the Florida Gators as he led a severely less talented team in the Bulldogs to a win against an SEC team with some NFL-level talent, uh, and he scored an offensive touchdown in that game and a kickoff return touchdown. Um, and he's an electric player to watch. Uh, like I said, very shifty and explosive, moves around very quick. And um, I, I think he's got a lot of work to do if he actually wants to make an impact as a wide receiver. But as a returner, especially you talk about uh, Deontay Spencer, God, God peed as a Broncos inside joke there. Um, he, uh, we did cut or not cut him, but we just let him go this offseason and did not uh, tender him. And so, um, we did need uh, somebody to step up at returner. The Broncos go ahead and uh, draft somebody with wide receiver upside as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see him. And so far, he's been uh, impressing in camp as well. And then uh, PJ Locke, a safety for us, uh, impressing at OTAs in camp as well, uh, receiving compliments from both Cortland Sutton and Justin Simmons on his progress as a player. And though Kid Stearns appears to be ahead of him on the depth chart, Uh, It seems pretty clear that P.J. will receive increased opportunity this year, uh, provided he continues to improve his game, uh, especially as you talk about Kareem Jackson aging, uh, and he possibly is looking to have a different or, like, lesser role, less snaps at least, um, if he's just playing at strong safety. Uh, Because, you know, he's getting to that point where 
like you want to kind of save his body or else he's just not going to be there and availability is the best ability. So you want him on the team. I'm glad we brought him back, but you also don't want to run him into the ground quite yet. Um, and we've got the depth there. When you talk about uh, Caden Stearns, who uh, seems to be the next starter there, uh, most likely after Kareem, and then PJ, who could probably fill a nickel role too, to be honest with you. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays out as well. Uh, and then Natane Muti, a guard for us, initially looked at as a potential cut candidate for this roster, uh, not because of lack of talent or athleticism, but due to a schematic fit difference as far as uh, what Nathaniel Hackett was bringing in. Uh, however, he's got on well with the new coaching staff and he's made positive strides in camp. Um, and he could not only stay on the roster, but find snaps as well. Um, so, you know, we'll just have to see how that plays out. I mean, when you look at that offensive line, like at left tackle, obviously Garrett Bowles, left guard, you talk about Dalton Reisner. I like Dalton Reisner. He's a good dude, Colorado native. Um, and I hope he's on the team for a long time. But there is some talk uh, about competition there. And then you talk about Natatane Muti maybe taking that position at left guard. Um, at center, we just talked about Lord Cushenberry getting better. Um, and I don't think Natane Muti would be in competition there. Uh, right guard. Uh, people are thinking Quinn Miners, but we also have Graham Glasgow, who we are paying veteran money. Um, so if you've got him, you probably want to use him. But we'll have to see how that shakes out. Um, a lot of competition there on that inside offensive line. Um, and then obviously at right tackle, you have that competition between a few guys, uh, but Natane Muti on that inside offensive line. So, uh, you know, we'll just have to see how all that shakes out, but he has a good chance of uh, getting a role there if he can uh, impress. So, and then our last Broncos story here, like I said, I know I, I wrote an essay, but um, this last one, Broncos wide receiver, Travis Fulgham, is fighting for a roster spot on a packed Denver Broncos wide receiver room after showing a burst of production with the Eagles in 2020 and struggling to make an impact since. Uh, but he's looked uh, good so far in camp and could compete with players like Tyree Cleveland, Hall of Fame quarterback Kendall Henson, and former Auburn wide receiver yeah. Seth Williams, uh, among others, for the likely sixth and final wide receiver spot, uh, unless the Broncos end up carrying seven. Uh, so, yeah, he's right in the thick of it there with the talented room. Um, not a lot of space there at the bottom, and uh, but he has been doing well so far and has shown out in the past starting against teams. Uh, so he's a candidate there for sure. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Enrique, what are your thoughts on this uh, Broncos OTAs? Well, uh, one, I'm so grateful that all the Broncos are nice and healthy and excuse me, that they're getting into camp and they're doing their thing. I'm so excited to see Patrick Sertan play. Um, I'm just excited to see him continue to take leaps and bounds. I feel like, you know, the Jets and the Broncos for any, and, you know, you, you say it all the time, champ was your favorite, you know, Bronco. Um, so like we're used to having shut down corners and I feel like we're finally getting back to our rightful place. Um, of having two lockdown corners. Um, I used to have another great number 24 in Darrell Rivas, and now we have uh, Sauce Gardner and uh, Patrick Sertan II. Uh, so I'm excited to see PS2 uh, continue to develop into a lockdown corner. Um, it sounds like Russ is, you know, connecting with all the wide receivers as far as, um, 
you know, they're all able to, you know, kind of get in there and work with him. So that sounds real nice. Um, but I mean, if I'm being honest with you, what, the thing I'm most honestly impressed about is Baron, uh, Baron Browning, mm -hmm. because to play edge and middle linebacker, <laughs> um, I mean, it's just, it's very rare. I mean, I think the only other person I've heard of that does that is Micah Parsons, you know, and to do it with um, success is very, very difficult. So the fact that, and the Broncos don't play around, like this is a $5 billion organization, you know, or 4.67 or whatever the fuck you guys just got <laughs> sold for. Um, so yeah, like they, they're not wasting they're not wasting draft picks. They're not wasting talent. So if, if they're seeing talent in this guy, even though he's a fifth-round draft pick, um, yeah, I'm excited for him. I'm, I'm excited to continue to see him grow. Um, and even more so, I think that the Broncos have a I, – I feel like the Broncos almost have a um, – so with Randy Gregory, I feel like you have one pass rusher slot uh, filled in. But I think the other one – you know, is kind of a more rotation piece because if I'm being honest with you, I think Bradley Chubb should play on a snap count. Um, I don't think he should be mm -hmm. just left out there all the time. So I think you should be rotating between Bradley Chubb and some other guys. Obviously, Randy Gregory is going to get rotated out as well, but um, Randy Gregory doesn't necessarily have the injury concerns for me that Bradley Chubb has. So having players like uh, Browning where he can – come off the edge, go play middle linebacker, which, you know, the Broncos really, really had a problem uh, injury-wise with middle linebacker last year. So, you know, that, those are invaluable snaps on, excuse me, um, both of those roster spots. Those are just invaluable, invaluable snaps. And those are the guys that, I mean, like you, you, you talked about Shaq Barrett when you broke down the Buccaneers. The, Shaq Barrett wasn't like Shaq Barrett that he is right now. Uh, he was a part-time player for the Broncos that earned his stripes and earned his way and started making more and more impact. And then he, you know, obviously he got developed with great pass rushers like, um, you know, DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller. But, you know, a lot of that is just simply on him as well. So, um, you know, the Broncos can continue to develop guys like this. They really see a, just a bright future. And then obviously you have, um, you know, this, Super Bowl winning uh, quarterback with Wilson. So, yeah, I'm just excited to see the Broncos. Um, my question is, though, is do you think this is the year that Jerry Judy finally shows out? Because <clears throat> although I love, um, I love my Bama boys and I love Jerry Judy especially, I think this is like a make or break year for Jerry Judy, if I'm being honest with you. If, uh, if, um, if I don't see – and I guess I don't, I don't want to – necessarily blame it on Jerry Judy, but I feel like some of it has to be on him as well, right? How do you how do you see the season for Jerry Judy and how do you feel about uh, my my take on it being a make or break year for him? Yeah, no, I mean I I, I kind of agree with you because he's going into his third year. So you're approaching the contract talks. Um and so I think it's you getting into heightened territory with that. Um and I think his first two years, his first year, he had Pat Shermer as his OC. So, you know, that's an immediate setback. And then uh, he had struggled with drops. 
admittedly. Uh, and then, you know, he had some flashes as far as his route running and things like that. But he just didn't give the production and he doesn't have a quarterback. And you can say that all day. And then last year, uh, you know, obviously still Pat Shermer as his OC, uh, who was even worse that year than he was the previous. Um, you know, we're still working with not good quarterback play. And then he has, uh, faces an injury and misses, I think, seven games uh, during the season. Um, so he's faced some adversity and he has improved in his second year from those drop issues. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I have seen improvement. So it's not like he's being completely stagnant, but he's not giving you the production that uh, you're hoping for from a first round wide receiver thus far. So now you have the uh, wider or wide receiver, you have the quarterback uh, that's going to get you the ball. You have a new head coach and a hopefully good offensive coordinator. Um, we're just going to have to see how that plays out. But in theory, you've at least tried to solve that issue for him and you've given him fresh faces to work with. Um, so now it's it's on him. He's healthy. Well, it, other than the growing issues we're talking about, hopefully those don't escalate. But provided that he's healthy coming into the season, um, you know, I, I do kind of agree with you that it's a pretty much a make or break year. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think necessarily like they're talking about getting rid of them next year, but I do think we're talking about not, uh, extending him maybe, or like maybe franchise tagging him or something along those lines. But, uh, I think this year you've taken away a lot of those excuses. Uh, so we need to see it now. And that's the case for a lot of guys, uh, on this Broncos roster, frankly. Um, so yeah, I do kind of agree with you there. And, uh, I did want to bring up and comment on, uh, some of your points uh, earlier that I really liked was the parallel with uh, Champ Bailey and Darrell Levis and then PS2 and Sauce Gardner. Uh, you know, the league is just better when the Broncos and Jets have elite cornerbacks. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad we're back in that space again. And uh, we both have good quarterbacks now as well, uh, which is fun to see uh, both teams They're both in Wilson. pop off here. Right, exactly. Wilson and Wilson. Wilson with two L's. Um, but, Wilson with two L's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you love to see that. And uh, I, I'm excited for this Broncos team, obviously, as a diehard. Uh, I just can't wait to see what they can do. Um, but I suppose with that, we can go ahead and move on to the NBA Finals. So we talked a little bit about it earlier with our weekly questions on who we thought were going to win. And I think we're both on the same page that um, I think most likely the Warriors take it. But the Celtics, at this point, tied – uh, at 2-2, they have the opportunity to take hold of the series, uh, but it comes down to uh, with this next game on Monday being uh, in San Francisco, and then game six would be in Boston, and a potential game seven would be back in San Francisco. Uh, if the Celtics are going to win this, it's got to be right now. Uh, they got to take game five, and then game six, you can close it out in Boston at home. That's the best case scenario. Uh, but uh, a couple of notes for me on the series. Uh, Patrick Williams has had a solid defensive impact so far and provided more than I initially thought he would on that end. However, he has been picked on with mis uh, mismatch hunting to put him on the Warriors' smaller, shiftier guards at times. Um, so he's been uh, put on Clay Thompson, especially uh, Steph Curry. Uh, he's just too much for those big guys, uh, and he glides right past them. Same thing with Al Horford. They take advantage of him a little bit as well on that defensive side. Um, and so, you know, not necessarily a negative defender because of that. He 
He's provided a lot in the paint, especially as he's, other than Al Horford, the Celtics' only uh, big uh, man in that uh, defensive realm there. Um, so, yeah, he's been decent, but uh, does the Celtics do need to figure out how to uh, alleviate that a little bit? Um, and then Jalen Brown, uh, you know, I would be interested to see if you feel differently than this, Enrique. I think Jalen Brown has been the best player on the Celtics in this series. And that's not to say that Jason Tatum has had a bad series. I think that he had a rough game one where he still uh, had a lot of playmaking um, and was elite playmaker, frankly. Like, so his bad game quotations wasn't even not elite. He just didn't score as much as he needed to, Um, but they still won the game. Um, And then since then he's uh, gotten more comfortable, has been playing uh, more physically and not playing, he was playing a little bit scared, to be honest with you, in game one, in my opinion, and not as physical as he needed to be, and now he's, he looks like himself. Um, but with that said, I think Jalen Brown has consistently delivered in all four games so far. Um, and, yeah, I think right now, thus in the series, uh, Jalen Brown's been the best uh, player on the Celtics. Yeah, no, I agree to the fullest. Um, and, yeah, no, and – I also agree to your point about maybe Jason Tatum playing a little scared. Um, I, I also think there's a certain aspect of nerves. Um, there's just a lot of things, right? Like that's one of the best things about sports is these guys overcome so much stuff and go out there and they either perform or they don't perform. And yeah. I think Jason Tatum is getting back into his usual realm, his usual self. But yeah, I think it's been hands down. Jalen Brown has a, uh, really is he's been the glue uh to the Celtics team right now you know he's been the very consistent piece um that has allowed them to stay into games and to win games you know um you know defensively he plays great offensively he does enough um he's just he's just he really has been the MVP for the team so far um and yeah I think he looks great I think Marcus Smart has also been very very good um uh, defensively and he's contributed enough offensively for me. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think Jalen Brown is hands down the team, uh, team MVP. And I hope that um, the thing though is I think Jason Tatum could potentially um, like step up and secure the series for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, he's got that potential. We were just talking about him in, in uh, the last round as being one of those guys that's uh, at this point now proven in the playoffs that he can step up and drag a team that is not playing as well as they need to to win uh, in a or to a, like a must-win game. You know what I mean? In the playoffs, um, and he did that in Game Six against the Heat. They had to win that game. They did, and then they ended up winning the series. Um, and yeah, I mean, something that uh, I was thinking about with. Uh, Jalen Brown too and Jason Tatum is like you talk about the discord that they've had in their relationship thus far and a lot of the uh, talk and rumors about like the power dynamic where both of them wanted to be the guy and somewhere it had to somebody had to put the ego down uh, or they both had really had to put the ego down and figure it out and eventually this year after a few years of that kind of being the case um, other than, I guess, like the Kyrie season, like they finally kind of put it together. And like you said, Jalen Brown has been that glue guy. And I think most importantly, 
Jalen Brown put down that ego and said, okay, Jason Tatum is the number one on this team. Fine. But I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to put up what I need to. And then what I find the most interesting uh, is right now in this final series, there could have been a turning point where Jalen Brown recognizes and says, hey, Jason Tatum's struggling, but I'm doing well. Like, I'm the number one. You know what I mean? And gets back into that power struggle. That it's possible. It could have happened, but it didn't. At least right now, it didn't. And he has kept the ego aside, done what he needed to do. Jason Tatum has got back on his game after the finals jitters. And you got to remember that this is the first time that either one of those guys and a lot of the players on this roster have been to the finals. So this is a fresh experience for them. Jalen Brown, it's interesting to see, like you said, when the lights are brightest and how, how guys react and how it changes legitimately can have an effect on their game just because of the mental aspect of it. And it did look like that was probably the case for Jason Tatum, unless there's like a lingering injury we just didn't know about or something like that. It seemed like to me what it was is he was, he was a little jittered. It was his first finals game. The moment was a little bit too big, but he still delivered on the playmaking part and he just struggled um, with the scoring. And he's now looks a lot better and more comfortable uh, in those finals. Uh, whereas Jalen Brown was able to come out, in his first finals game and have a great game to help them seal that game one win. Um, so, yeah, it's just interesting to uh, that, that honestly, I got to tell you, Enrique, like that is, and it's part of the reason why I think that since you've shown me the UFC, I've taken to it so much is part of, and one of the biggest parts of sports that I really, really enjoy is seeing the human aspect of it, like the stories and the, the human uh, things that go into it, as far as, like we just talked about, the way that the moment can affect stuff and the way that, like, people can be overwhelmed or they can be, like, you talk about, like, uh, the Jordan flu game where he is the greatest player on earth in the biggest series uh, of their the league they're trying to win the NBA finals, and then he has flu, and he overcomes that to not only like, you know, be a contributor, uh, but still be Michael Jordan and win the game for them in, on the biggest stage when the lights are brightest. Like the, that's the kind of stuff that I love. I'm just seeing how people handle that kind of stuff where like on the flip side and not to crap on Aaron Gordon, I love Aaron Gordon, but then you look at somebody like Aaron Gordon, who there's plenty of examples of where you see them get into the playoffs or when the lights are bright and they don't play at their brightest um, and they struggle in that environment. Uh, and so there, it's just interesting to me and I, I find it enjoyable to see uh, the human parts of, of sports like that um, that aren't necessarily like scores on a stat sheet. Like I expect Jason Tatum to be a 30 points per game scorer so he better score 30 points in game one of the finals. Like there's more context to it, to that, or to it than that. Um, so yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff in sports. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, and I, and I definitely agree with you in terms of, I, I do think that this is like a, a bigger moment for Jason Tatum than it has been for some of the other guys on the set. That's partially because he is the number one guy, and he's looked to as the number one guy, and that's league-wide now. League-wide, he's been a rising superstar, and then 
now he's like a, su a, a certified superstar by getting them to the finals. And so, yeah, I think that this is a bit bigger on him. Um, I mean, he's literally like texting Kobe. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that he's, I think he's putting a lot of pressure on himself to deliver and to bring home a ring. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely think that game one was the jitters. And I think he's definitely been improving as the series has went on. And, you know, this is what exactly what you're talking about. You know, this is what you want to see is can you be the guy that overcomes or not? Can you be, what is your legacy going to be remembered as? Cause that, at the end of the day, that's all, that's all anyone has truthfully is their legacy. And even more so when you're an athlete, especially of this caliber, you got to the NBA finals after, you know, whiffing in the playoffs the last few years. So yeah, it's time to deliver if you're Jason Tatum. And I mean, dear God knows I need him to deliver because I cannot, cannot do the Warriors win another fucking championship. Right. That's what I was saying. I mean, I don't love it being the Celtics, but it's better than the Warriors. So. Yeah. Yeah, um, I absolutely hate that it's the Celtics, but right. it's much um, better than the Warriors. It's very true. It's very true. I don't need any more. As as much as I love Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, like I'm good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Uh, I love so, Clay Thompson. Dude, I love Clay Thompson. Say. And like you said, it's uh, it's nice to see him healthy again, finally, after being injured for, like, two full years. Yeah, like, that's the only, like, plus for me if the Warriors win is that – because, honestly, him not getting on the top 75 is low-key fucked up. Um, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just, like, for him to come back and win a ring was really cool. Um, plus, I like his dog, so – you know, True. you know, he's got a cool dog. He does, in fact, have a cool dog. I agree with that statement. Uh, but a couple more notes here on the Celtics in this series. Um, so Derek White shooting 50% from three on five attempts per game. And then Al Horford shooting 56% on three attempts. Or I'm sorry, from three on four attempts a game. So, I mean, both of those guys, obviously four and five attempts isn't a ton of attempts, but shooting 50 and 56% in a final series through four games is not a, uh, not nothing. So good for those guys. And then the Celtics as a whole shooting 44% from three in the series. Uh, so the Celtics are just nailing it from the perimeter. Uh, been a big part of their success really have not, uh, you know, we talked about it last time, but not a lot of paint, uh, scoring other than, uh, you know, some occasional driving and layups and things like that. Uh, but neither team has the big men, offensive big men, uh, to really uh, focus on that inside scoring much. And neither team has really much of a mid-range presence either. Um, so mostly the three ball, both from Stephen Curry, we talked about Clay Thompson and the Warriors, and then uh, the Celtics shooting as well as they are. Um, and then moving on to some notes, about the Warriors real quick. Uh, Steph currently averaging 34 points per game on 66% true shooting in the series so far and 49% per, uh, from three on almost 13 attempts a game. So talking about Derek White, 50% from three on five attempts, like good for you, buddy. I'm glad for you. You're doing really well. Thank you. Uh, but then you have uh, <laughs> Mr. Hall of Fame over here shooting 49% uh, from three 
on 13 attempts per game. I mean, good God, Steph. Good God. It's crazy how good he is. Uh, it really is. And uh, Wiggins uh, continuing to provide a good two-way impact for the Warriors and being a big part of their success defensively in the series. Um, he's just been a solid player for them, man. Um, I, I don't think he's going to stick on this Warriors team. I, I bet he's probably going to get an offer that he'll take from another team come this offseason. But, um, yeah, I mean, if the Warriors end up winning the championship, he was definitely a very important cog in the machine this year. Um, so I'm glad to see him doing what he's doing. Uh, and then Draymond, you were talking about this a little bit earlier, and I did want to get into this, but I wanted to save it for uh, this section here. So Draymond was benched during the fourth quarter of game four to allow the Warriors to have uh, more offensive threats on the floor and thus increase spacing and in turn scoring. Uh, though Draymond is a Hall of Fame defensive player, his lack of offensive impact, and especially at the three-point line in today's game is starting to show its effect on the way it allows the defense uh, defense to play them. And you look at when Draymond's on the floor, because of the lack of his offensive impact, you can literally see the defenders playing him differently than all the other players. And you can see them sagging off of him when he gets past the ball. Nobody closes out on him the way they do on Steph Curry or on Clay Thompson, because they know he's not going to take that shot. And in fact, they're inviting him to take that shot because they know he's not good enough at it. And it's a, a like in when you are facing the Warriors, literally in no situation would you want like one of the best case scenarios as a defense would be Draymond three or Draymond three Draymond Green taking a three, as opposed to Steph Curry, as opposed to Clay Thompson, as opposed to Jordan Poole, as opposed to Gary or Gary uh, Payton the second, as opposed to you name it, like. It's he's one of those players that you can target defensively. Um, And so when it comes down to it, it wasn't as much of uh, an impact in a pre, uh, which it's kind of ironic because his play style and being uh, bad offensively like that, but being a great defensive player, it wasn't as much of a a hindrance in these types of situations pre-Steph and pre the three-point renaissance in the NBA. But because of the way that defenses have changed and the way the offenses have changed and defenses because of that, uh, and so many threes are being shot now that uh, you you have to have some sort of offensive presence there. Otherwise, you're just going to be a handicap for the rest of your team uh, because the defense can uh, then do much more in terms of defending the four players on the floor that can score and they can leave you out to dry. Um, and so in those big moments in the finals there, um, you know, it's tough because he, like you see people on Twitter saying he's, he's washed and whatever, whatever, like it's, it's not that he's washed because he's still a hall of fame defender still had an amazing uh, impact on all of these finals games and the warriors would not be here without him straight up. Like he is a glue piece on their team. But, like, it's kind of like when you talk about uh, uh, when the Nuggets were playing the Warriors and Jokic got ben- uh, benched on a defensive play in the fourth quarter um, so that we could bring in somebody smaller. It's it's less about the that it makes the player bad, like they're not good enough or they're washed or whatever, and, and it's more about the uh, 
play style slash physical ability and finding the right matchup because in today's NBA, it's so matchup heavy that you'll get abused if you don't foresee that and then like get rid of the problem or find a way to fix it. You know what I mean? So because the Nuggets got abused defensively with Nikola Jokic, like we talked about with that series, because we didn't have uh, the other defensive personnel necessary to make up for uh, Nikola Jokic uh, defensively. So like in that type of situation, you're better off just removing him defensively, getting somebody better in there and then putting him back in offensively. And that's exactly what Steve Kerr did here. Um, And it doesn't mean they're washed or bad. It's just about the way that the chess match is played in the NBA. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting situation. And uh, yeah, that, that quality of Draymond's was not nearly as um, debilitating as it is now in a pre-Steph league where uh, you really need to be productive from the three. Otherwise uh, you're a huge detriment at times. So, uh, but uh, yeah, did you have any more thoughts on uh, the series Enrique? I, I definitely agree with everything that you're saying about Draymond. It's not indicative of him. I mean, yeah, it's just the way the games played. It just played differently. And if they can take advantage of you, they're going to take advantage of you um, any way they can, especially right now to win the chip. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just – I hope the Celtics can pull it through. I hope Jason Tatum can put the motherfucking team on his back. And um, otherwise, nah, dude, I'm good. I am good on talking about the Warriors. Right. I, I like, just don't want to talk about it anymore because it's just sad. That the Warriors are winning. Um, the other thing I'll say, congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche for events to the Stanley Cup, though. Because and the and the Tampa Bay Lightning, because we um, watched the Rangers get booted out last night. Uh, yeah. Unfortunate, very unfortunate, but it is what it is. Um, and now to. Uh, you know, take back everything I said last week. Um, I'm going to be rooting for the Avalanche to bring home the Stanley Cup to Denver, Colorado. So let's go, Avs, and uh, let's go, Celtics. Right. Let's go, Avs. Let's go, Celtics. And yeah, RIP to the Rangers. That was like we, we did watch that game while, while we were watching the fights last night. And uh, yeah, that was unfortunate. We wanted them to pull it out. It was crushing for them to get it tied up and then the Tampa Bay Lightning to like almost immediately score again and put it on top. And I think that just kind of sealed it. it was, and there was only like three minutes left. And you were just like, dang, that sucks. Just like, yeah. Just a it was rough. But, yeah, well, especially for all those Ranger fans that were there, there was like yeah, a gang of them. It was sad, bro. <laughs> it was unfortunate. So our hearts go out to all the Rangers fans. Sorry, guys. Uh, but now it's the Avalanche's time. And it's kind of an interesting matchup because we were talking about this. Like we said, we're not really hockey guys that much, but um, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are two-time, like the last two times uh, they won the Stanley Cup. So they're going for the three-peat, which I did not realize. Um, so it's kind of a cool storyline. You're going for the three-peat versus the young up-and-coming team that's uh overdue for a championship shot um 
So we'll have to see how that goes. It's going to be fun. And uh, we'll certainly cover it, even though we're not uh, experts in the field. But it's a ton of fun to watch. Um, so yeah, certainly we'll talk about it. Um, and then, yeah, I suppose with that, we can go ahead and uh, move on uh, to our Mile High Fight Show. And uh, that means we will see you guys on the other side. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Mile High Flight Show, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. See you on the other side.